Hey, hey, this is Gene. Here we are, Sunday, and we're going to do another chapter, chapter three of Animal Farm. Now, I know I wasn't here last week. I wasn't here last week because I was in San Francisco, enjoying San Francisco. It actually, and I, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, it was actually not so bad. So um, it was dirty, a sin, small. People were weird, lots of bums. I didn't see a lot of drugs, but we didn't go downtown either. We just stayed by the wharf, so we had a good time. Uh, I'm still working on, I'm still working on the video, so I can push put it push it up on YouTube. What I'm also thinking of doing is actually starting to put this on YouTube, so that uh, actually take video and start posting the videos on YouTube. That way you can actually see me reading at the time. You can see me reading my notes and all that fun stuff. So let's get into chapter three of Animal Farm. Now, as we remember, chapter two, the animals took over. They put in their seven commandments. Whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes on four legs or has wings is a friend. No animal shall wear clothes. No animal shall sleep in a bed. No animal shall drink alcohol. No animal shall kill any other animal. And all animals are equal. So that, that's really the important part of it before we start chapter three. Chapter three is kind of short. It's only a couple pages or three pages. But... Um, I actually have a ton of notes here, so we'll make up the half hour, no problem. So here we go, chapter three, starting off. How they toiled and sweated to get the hay in, but their efforts were rewarded, for the harvest was even bigger, even bigger success than they had hoped. Sometimes they worked. The, sometimes the work was hard. The implements had been designed for human beings and not for animals, and it was a great drawback that no animal was able to use any tool that involved standing on his hind legs. But the pigs were so clever that they could think of a way around every difficulty. As for the horses, they knew every inch of the field, and, in fact, understood the business of mowing and raking far better than Jones and his men had ever done. The pigs did not actually work, but directed and supervised the others. With their superior knowledge, it was natural that they should assume the leadership. Okay, all animals are equal, and already we can see that's not the case. It sounds like the, uh, the pigs are beginning to exert control over all the other animals. So just be aware of this. It's, it's always just gradual. Okay. Where am I? Boxer and Clover would harness themselves to the cutter or the horse rake. No bits or reins were needed in these days, of course. And tramp steadily around and round the field with a pig behind them calling out, Gee up, comrade, or woe back, comrade, as might be. So basically, the pigs are taking over the uh, role of the human being, or the tyrant, as far as the pigs were concerned. And every animal, down to the humblest, worked at turning the hay and gathering it. Even the ducks and hens toiled to and fro, all day in the sun, carrying tiny wisps of hay in their beaks. In the end, they finished the harvest in two days less time than it usually had taken Jones and his men. Moreover, it was the biggest harvest that the farm had ever seen. There were no wastage whatsoever. The hens and the ducks, with their sharp eyes, had gathered up every stock, last stock, and not an animal on the farm had stolen so much as a mouthful. All through summer, 
Please listen to this because I got a kind of a long one in here. All through summer, the work of the farm went like clockwork. The animals were happy and they were never conceived it to be possible. Every mouthful of food was an acute, positive pleasure. Now that it was truly their own food, produced themselves and for themselves, not doled out to them by a grudging master. With the worthless, parasitical human beings gone, there was more for everyone to eat. There was more leisure, too, inexperienced though the animals were. They met with many difficulties. For instance, later in the year, when they harvested the corn, they had to tread it out in the ancient style and blow off the chafe with their breath, since the farm possessed no threshing machine. But the pigs, with their cleverness, and Boxer, with his tremendous muscles, always pulled them through. Boxer was the admiration of everybody. He had been a hard worker even in Jones's time, but now he seemed more like three horses than one. There were days when the entire work of the farm seemed to rest on his mighty soldiers. Sh- uh, shoulders, excuse me. From morning to night, he was pushing and pulling, always at the spot where the work was hardest. He, made, he had made an arrangement with one of the cockerels to call him in the mornings half hour earlier than anyone else and would put in some volunteer labor at whatever seemed to be the most needed before the regular day's work began. His answer to every problem was setback. What, every problem, every setback was, I will work harder, which he had adopted in his personal motto. Okay. This is how socialism and communism always starts. Socialism and communism come up with something called, communism specifically, comes up with something called a five-year plan. And that first five years always brings prosperity and joy. Healthcare, food, leisure time is all what the tyrants promise. Education, entertainment, that's what they promise. The latest example of this was Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, though you can point to Castro, you can point to uh, Il in uh, North Korea. The first few years, Chavez was trying to nationalize everything. And because basically when Chavez took over, he said there were going to be a socialist state. Um, They weren't a socialist state. They were still kind of a democracy. Okay, or a capitalist state, a market state. And he began to take, nationalize certain corporations. This led to more money. This led to more prosperity. This led to more food. But as, and so everyone was really kind of happy in the first few years in Venezuela. I know that's a shocker to hear this from someone. But, I mean, Chavez came to the UN, said how great things were going in um Venezuela, and people thought things were going great. But after the first few years, Chavez started nationalizing everything, including uh, the crops. He started nationalizing oil. He kicked out Chevron. He kicked out um, uh, the English uh, BC or whatever it's called, uh, petroleum. He started nationalizing everything. And they started screwing up. The government started screwing up because the government sucks at everything. This is one thing to need to remember. So Venezuela then started to fall apart as their production went down because you can't eat. Uh, You can't, um, the government can't produce as much because there's no incentive system 
with communist governments. All their production went down, and then they had a simple crash of oil, which was what Venezuela, and then they fell apart, and now everyone's eating dogs and cats. That's what happens in five-year plans. It happened the same thing when the Bolsheviks took up the Soviet Union. It happened the same way when uh, Castro took over Cuba. Everyone's thrilled the first couple of years, but then when things started getting nationalized and the um, uh, capitalist government was being kicked out and everything was starting to be, it just fell apart. And that's what is happened. That's what's going to end up happening here. I'm sorry I shouldn't have given you that, but okay, I continue. But everyone worked according to his capacity. The hens and the ducks, for instance, saved five bushels of corn at the harvest by gathering up the stray grains. Nobody stole. Nobody grumbled. Over his rations, the cor- over, over uh, grumbled over his rations. The quarreling and biting and jealousy, which had been normal features of life in the old days, had almost disappeared. Nobody shirked, or almost nobody. Molly, it was true, was not good at getting up in the mornings and had a way of leaving work early on the ground that there was a stone in her hoof. Uh, And the behavior of the cat was somewhat peculiar. It was soon noticed that when there was a work to be done, the cat would never be found. She would vanish for hours on end and then reappear at mealtimes or in the evening after work was over, as though nothing had happened. But she always made it such excellent excuses and purred so affectionately that it was impossible not to believe her good intentions. Old Benjamin, the donkey, seemed quite unchanged since the rebellion. He did work in the same slow, obstinate way as he had done in Joan's time. Never shrinking, never volunteering for extra work. About the rebellion and its results, he would express no opinion. When asked whether he was not happier now that Jones was gone, he would only he would say only, donkeys live a long time, none of you have ever seen a dead donkey, and the others had to be content with his cryptic answer. This is an example how not all of them are comrades. This is why utopia is impossible. I'm going to get more into this later, but we are all individuals with individual capacities and individual idiosyncrasies. Not everyone is perfect, is a perfect worker or even wants to work. So here, Orwell puts all three in line. He has the one that just doesn't want to work, the cat. He has one that, you know, I'm going to be kind of lazy, show up late, leave early, Molly. And he has one that just doesn't give a damn. He's going to do whatever his minimum is and that's it, the mule. And that's the problem with trying to create utopia. You have to deal with these personalities because when these personalities do not do what the collective needs or shirks it, eventually that's going to lead to jealousy. We're going to get more into that because this is a real, it's going to be the longest uh, philosophical discussion. On Sundays, there was no work. Breakfast was an hour later than usual, and after breakfast there was a ceremony which was observed every week without fail. First came the hoisting of the flag. Snowball had found the harness room, an old green tablecloth of Mrs. Jones, and had painted it on a hoof in painted on it a hoof and a horn in white. This was run up the flagstaff in the farmhouse garden every Sunday morning. The flag was green, Snowball explained, to represent the green fields of England. 
while the hoof and the horn signified the future republic of the animals, which would rise from the human race, which would rise when the human race was finally overthrown. Okay, there are a couple of things here, and I even found one now. Um, notice that socialist countries always use names that make their countries seem like something they're not. Union of Soviet Socialist Republic. The USSR was no union and it wasn't a republic. Democratic Republic of North Korea. Uh, North Korea is a pure socialist dictatorship. They have no democracy, no republic. The German Democratic Republic, which was East German. They were complete communists. There was no, it was not a democratic republic. The People's Republic of China. China is a dictatorship. It is not a republic. And do you notice what's, what's, what country in the world right now is a true democratic republic? The United States of America. We are a true democratic republic, even now, even though we're trying to blow that. Whenever you see a society with a name that has democratic or republic in it, worse, both, be very wary, they're probably not a democratic republic. Also, the other thing I want to show here is uh, signify the future of the Republic of the Animals, which would arise when the human race had finally been overthrown. This sounds like an imperialistic uh, society, doesn't it? What is imperialism? Because everyone accuses the United States of imperialism. Imperialism is when you take over, you colonize, and you over-dominate another civilization. That's what imperialism is. England, when they took over um, the Falkland Islands, was being imperialistic. They took over uh, a piece of an island right off the coast of Argentina. That's imperialist. The Soviet Union going in and taking over Czechoslovakia, Poland, Romania, Hungary, East Germany, Ukraine, Lithuania. That's imperialism to create those countries, make them still sovereign countries, but puppets under the Soviet Union. That's, that's imperialism. The United States doesn't do that. When was the last time the United States did anything imperialist? You can't say Hawaii because we bought Hawaii. You can't say, um, you can't say Alaska. We bought Alaska. You can't say we stole Texas from Mexico. We won Texas in a war. Mexico wanted to keep Texas in Southern California. Mexico decided to fight us. They fought us, they lost, we took their war. We took the, their thing. We didn't take over Mexico. Uh, Puerto Rico, you could say that was imperialism because we fought a war with, <coughs> excuse me, I think it was Spain. And we beat them and then we basically took over Puerto Rico. But we're not really an imperialist country like the Soviet Union. We don't have, <coughs> darn COVID, uh, we don't have... Um, we don't have like Canada and Mexico as our buffer states, our buffer countries. We, we don't do that. So this really shows that communist countries are extremely, uh, extremely imperialistic. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't show it, but it intimates, Orwell intimates that imperialism is a communist. Don't forget, he was an anti-Soviet guy. He was an anti-USSR guy. So... He's thinking of the USSR at the time. After hoisting the flag, all the animals trooped into the big barn for a general assembly, which was known as the meeting. Here, the work was coming, was of the coming week, was planned out, res and resolutions were put forward and debated. This is an example 
of well, we're going to have to continue on. I can't just say this now. It was always the pigs who put forward the re- resolutions. The other animals understood how to vote, but could not think for any resolution of any resolutions of their own. Snowball and Napoleon were by far the most active in the debates, but it was noticed that these two were never in ag- never in agreement. Whatever suggestion either of them made, the other would be counted on to oppose it. Now, this is kind of a thing, okay? Conflict between government leaders is actually extremely common in tyrannical governments. For example, um, Stalin never agreed with Trotsky or Lenin. Uh, There was Lenin never agreed with Marx, though Marx was not a political figure. Um, Che Guevara never agreed, or Castro, Fidel Castro never agreed with Che Guevara. This usually leads to the more powerful overwhelming the weaker. So what could happen if we're looking at a real government takeover? What could actually happen to the pig, to the one that disagrees? The one who gets most of the kudos is usually the one that's going to kill the, the one who keeps arguing. And this is a thing. This does happen. So let's go on. Even when it was resolved, a thing no one could object to in itself, to set aside a small paddock behind the orchard as a home for the rest of the animals who were past work, there was a stormy debate over the correct retiring age for each class of animal. The meeting always ended with the singing of the beasts of England, and the afternoon was given up to recreation. Okay, and this is something, um, this whole paragraph that I just read, is an example of governmental ceremonies replacing religion. This, I don't think Orwell did this well, honestly, throughout the entire book. I think Orwell really needed to bring up religion. He needed to beat on it. I think he beats on it one more time, but he doesn't really bring it up. The government is God now, period. This was also shown in other books like Brave New World, 1984, Fahrenheit 451, where the government actually took a religious role. Uh, Brave New World, who um, Alex Huxley was uh, George Orwell's mentor, Brave New World really beat that in. It spent an entire chapter on it. Um, This is also something that can be seen today. The environmental movement has become a religious movement to environmentalists. The BLM forcing white people to kneel to black people and beg their forgiveness. This is an example of looking up to looking up at a black person as a religious. People kneeling during the Star Spangled Banner at sports events. This is a religious thing. You can sit. It's actually more disrespectful to sit during the national anthem than it is to kneel. Because sitting is just screw you. But the only place I've ever knelt is at church. So a lot of people think that a lot of BLM, a lot of people in, in sports say that, well, it wasn't really meant to be a uh, uh, disrespect thing. Well, it is a respectful thing, but you're kneeling for something that's not the United States flag. So that's a bad thing. Um, think about it. I don't know what else to say. Just think about it. The pigs had set aside the harness room as its headquarters for themselves here in the evenings. They studied blacksmithing and carpentering 
and other necessary arts from the books which they had brought out from the farmhouse, Snowball also busied himself with organizing the other animals into what he called animal committees. He was indefatable, indefa- I can't pronounce that word, at this. He formed the egg production committee for the hens, the clean tails league for the cows, the wild comrades education committee. The object of this was to tame the rats and rabbits, the wider wool movement for the sheep, the various others besides instituting classes in reading and writing. On the whole, these projects were a failure. The attempt to tame wild creatures, for instance, broke down almost immediately. They continued to behave very much as they did before, and when treated with generosity, simply took advantage of it. The cat joined the re-education committee and was very active in it for some days. She was seen one day sitting on the roof and talking to some sparrows who were just out of her reach. She was telling them that all animals are now comrades and that the sparrow who chose could come and perch on her paw, but the sparrows kept their distance. Okay, I've got a ton here. I've got a ton in this one. And that cat is proving something that I'm going to bring up right here. This is the bureaucracy that is created. Bureaucracies that socialist states actually create. And the United States now is creating bureaucracies beyond all belief. But unlike bureaucracy, we see the bureaucracy here is made to change the beliefs and behaviors of its people. It's made to change human nature. Here's the thing. The the left believes that human beings are malleable and can be changed by the government. They do not believe that there is an objective human nature. That's why... All tyrannical countries have prison camps, concentration camps, and gulags. The founding fathers of the United States believed that there was objective human nature, and no one can change it, especially the government. And with that, human, with there being human nature, there was certain rights that we have that human nature embraces that precede governments and governments own. And the government's only job is to protect those human rights. That's it. Orwell pointed out something when explaining bureaucracies to change behavior. They don't work. There is community, not collectives. And communities are made up of individuals that voluntarily help and produce and provide to the communities. That when you force, when you use a collective and you force that, it just never works. The problem is with tyrants is if they can't take human nature out of their population, they imprison and kill the population. The last sentence where the cat is saying, come and sit on my deal, and the, the sparrows won't, because the sparrows understand there's nature. The cat also understands there's nature. They under, The sparrows understand the cat's nature, And the cat is assuming he can change the sparrow's nature based on the government. And the sparrows already know this cat's full of shit. It is, that is a fantastic example of uh, human nature, the malleability of human nature thought of by the left. And they show this all the time. Okay, let's go on. The reading and writing classes, however, were a great success. By the autumn, almost every animal on the farm was literate in some degree. Does that sound kind of familiar? 
That's what Bernie Sanders said when he used to justify uh, Cuba. Again, the initial five-year plan for socialist countries do work. There, there is advancement. But that's because they're not fully socialist at this point. And the population is motivated to improve. It takes between five to ten years to nationalize everything, and that's when crap starts falling apart. Oh, this is a good paragraph. Here we go. As for the pigs, they could already read and write perfectly. The dogs learned to read fairly well, but were not interested in reading anything except the Seven Commandments. Muriel, the goat, could read somewhat better than the dogs and sometimes used to read to the others in the evenings from scraps of newspaper, which she found on the rubbish heap. Benjamin could read as well as any pig, but never exercised his faculty. So there, so far as he knew, he said there was nothing worth reading. Clover learned the whole alphabet, but could not put the words together. Boxer could not get beyond the letter D. He had traced out A, B, C, D in the dust with his great hoof, and then without sta- with would stare would stand staring at the letters with his ears back, sometimes shaking his forelock, trying with all his might to remember what came next, and never succeeding. On several occasions, indeed, he learned E, F, G, and H, but by the time he got to knew that got to know them, it was already discovered that he had forgotten A, B, C, and D. Finally, he decided to be content with the first four letters and used to write them out once or twice every day to refresh memory. Molly refused to learn any of the six letters, any but six letters, which spelt her own name. She would form these very neatly out pieces of twig and would not decorate them with a flower and would decorate them with a flower or two and walk around them admiring. Okay, this is something we see today, and this is a big issue. This is capacity. Now, the left likes to talk about uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And what this means is there is going to be capacity for individuals, according to the Founding Fathers. For example, Bill Gates is Bill Gates. He's invented windows. He's done things that were good. They've done things that were bad. Um, Me, I like computers. I work with computers. I like to read. I like to write. Things like that. But I've got capacity. For example, I'm never going to be the next John Steinbeck. I just don't write like that. I don't have that capacity. Computers, I've got I've got pretty high capacity. I can do quite a bit, which is why I had a 26-year career with capacity. Some people just are never going to have that capacity where they can be equal, in, in all equal equality. This is a thing, all right? For example, the left thinks that the ditch digger should get the same, should get a $15, $15 wage, and they should have a living wage and all this stuff just like Bill Gates. And if Bill Gates makes a ton of money, Bill Gates should be giving some of his money to the ditch digger. That is not what the founding fathers meant. Maybe they could have said it in the Declaration of Independence but and the, and the Constitution. But the reality is there is capacity. You have the right to achieve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or in this case, the pursuit of property. That does not mean that if you cannot achieve that, there is no equality. The left focuses on the quality of or equality of outcome, not equality. 
equality under the eyes of the law is what the founding fathers said. That's what they meant. The founding fathers went out there and they wanted to make sure that you would have the same chance as anybody else. And the only chance, the only thing that stopped your chance at reaching your goals is your capacity. Whereas the left thinks that, and that's why they want to change the entire system, is that equality of outcome is what the founders meant. And if they didn't mean that, they're just wrong and we need to do a quality of outcome. That's why Jeff Bezos is an evil human being because he makes uh, you know, truly, uh, uh, billions of dollars. Well, because he had the capacity to make a great product. I'm reading Ben Shapiro's um, Three Ways to Destroy America. And he, or let's see, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. And it brings this up that equality of outcome is not the same thing as equality under the law. And just because, you know, equality isn't going to work or we can't have that, the left just wants to ignore capacity. That's what they, they want everyone to be equal in one way. Well, when you try and make everyone equal, it makes those that have higher capacity uninterested in trying to do um, the right thing. So, for example, we talked a few minutes ago about community versus collective. The collective forces the community, forces the population to be equal. So if I make a million dollars and someone makes $25,000, I should give my million dollars so that we both make $500,000 a year. That's not equality. You are violating what the, the founder said as equality under the law because you're stealing my money to give it to somebody else. And just because the, the, the government decides to say, hey, I'm going to take this money, does not mean that it's not stealing. It is stealing. Equality of outcome is unjust. Whereas equality under the law is just. It's not capacity to be a billionaire is not uh, something that the founding fathers said was equality. It has nothing to do with it. If I can't, you know, Jeff Bezos or the one Donald Trump, let's use Donald Trump. Donald Trump did a lot of stuff to become a billionaire, whether he's worth $7 billion, $2 billion, $4 billion, whatever. But he did a lot of stuff. He did took a lot of chances. He had the capacity, the bravery to sit back and, and take risk. But that's ignored by the left. And that's what this shows here, is that we all have different capacities. And you cannot, and it's not equality, to take from one give to another because that other person doesn't have the capacity. Stealing is not capacity. You have certain rights that predate, that preempt government. Those rights, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of uh, press, freedom to congregate, freedom to defend yourself. All those predate government. And it's your capacity. The government doesn't have to give you a gun. If I have the capacity to purchase a gun, 
then I have the right to defend myself. If I don't have the purchase, if I don't have the capacity to purchase a gun, I don't have, that's not a right that the government guarantees under me. The government doesn't guarantee rights. You must read How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, where Ben Shapiro talks about uh, negative and positive rights. Negative rights being rights that preempt government. Rights that no one gives you. Those are just rights you have versus positive rights, which are rights that the government bestows upon you, which don't exist because the positive rights can be taken away. Really interesting stuff. I Oh, I could go on this for another. I've been going on this for about seven, eight minutes now. Okay, we're almost done the chapter. Let's Let's move on. None of the other animals on the farm could get further than the letter A. It was also found that the stupider animals, such as the sheep, hens, and ducks, were unable to learn the Seven Commandments by heart. After much thought, Snowball declared that the Seven Commandments could, in effect, be reduced to a single maxim, namely, four legs good, two legs bad. This, he said, contained the essential principle of animalism. There's that word, animalism again. Whoever had thoroughly grasped it would be safe from human influences. The birds at first objected, since it seemed to them that they had also two legs, but Snowball proved them that it was not. Quote, Bird, a bird's wing, comrades, he said, is an organ of propulsion and not manipulation. It should therefore be regarded as a leg, distinguishing a mark of a man in his, um, of a man is the hand, the instrument, which with which he does all his mischief. We could use this as an example of the left trying to convince people that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. In other words, we're changing the uh, we're changing the science of what an animal is and what they are. A wing is not manipulation. A foot, just any more than a foot, is a manipulation. I don't use my feet to manipulate anything. Okay? My hands do manipulate. That's, that's He's right there. Orwell did not have the trans debate through manipulating science or nature. Um, but it has been a thing that he's professed, professed later uh, in, let's say, 1984. Science has always been something that tyrants can manipulate in brave new world they manipulate science to grow children instead of birthing children they manipulate science to manipulate science for drugs to calm their children they did the same thing in fahrenheit 451 so manipulation of science is in nature is something that's always been kind of professed. And by the way, they do that in the real world now. I mean, they do that now. Abortion, not a big deal. Um, black, white, race is a big deal. They don't see us as human beings. They see us as black, white, whatever. Manipulating something, instead of men, manipulating nature is something that the left has to do. Because if they don't manipulate the left, uh, they don't manipulate science, science will always disprove them. The birds did not understand Snowball's long words, but they accepted his explanation. 
and all for all the humbler animals set to work to learn the new maxim by heart, four legs good, two legs bad, was inscribed on all the walls of the barn, above the seven commandments and in bigger letters. When they had got one uh, when they had once got it by heart, the sheep developed a great liking for the maxim, and they often, as they lay in the fields, they would start bleeding, four legs good, two legs bad, four legs good, two legs bad, and keep it up for hours on end, never growing tired of it. Okay, duh. This is, this is, this is how morons chant. Just spit out some maxim, some saying, no justice, no peace. You know, a good maxim and you can choke off all reasonable debate. Let's continue. Napoleon took no interest in Snowball's committees. He had that re-education of the young was more important than anything that could be done for those who already had grown up. It just happened that Jesse and Bluebell and had both whelped soon after the harvest, giving birth between them to nine sturdy puppies. As soon as they were weaned, Napoleon took them away from their mothers, saying that they would make he would make himself responsible for their education. He took them up into the loft, which could only be reached by a ladder from the harness room, and there he kept them in seclusion that the rest of the farm soon forgot their existence. All right, this is true indoctrination. First, destroy the nuclear family. Remove the kids don't allow the parents to bestow family values on the children. Then drown them in a false philosophy of utopia. This is happening today. The nuclear family has slowly been ripped apart and now is being openly condemned by the BLM group and the left. It used to be in the 60s and 70s there were only 30% born out of wedlock, white families, it was 20%. Now it is close to 70%. Religion, the moral educators for the family, has been condemned and rejected by a lot of people. Your kids are taught that any discipline, including spanking, yelling, grounding, even sitting them in the corner is child abuse. And our children now threaten us with this because that's what they're taught by their counselors in the schools and by the schools and even on the television. And our, heck, our school counselors openly look for child abuse. They actually go out there and say, well, I Johnny told me that you spanked him on the butt because he ran across the street. Yeah. Even if you walk in the street, that's happening. This isn't a good thing. Finally, our kids are bombarded with left-wing ideas from schools, music, entertainment, and art, the media. And now, with this whole new kneeling crap for the national anthem, in sports, we can't get away from the indoctrination. The mystery of where the milk went to was soon cleared up. It was mixed with everyday pigs, every day into pig's mash. The early apples were now ripening. The grass of the orchard was littered with windfalls. The animals had assumed as a matter of course that these would be shared out equally. One day, however, the order went forth that 
all the windfalls were to be collected and brought into the harness room for the pigs, for the use of the pigs. At this, some other animals murmured, but it was of no use. But it was of no use. All the pigs were in full agreement on this point. Even Snowball and Napoleon. Squealer was sent to make the necessary explanations to the others. Uh, so much for all animals being equal. The pigs were so much smarter. They deserved more. So it's amazing how a quality of outcome is not a thing if it involves the tyrant. Continuing. Comrades, he cried, you do not imagine, I hope, that we pigs are doing this in the spirit of selfishness and privilege. Many of us actually dislike milk and apples. I dislike them myself. Our sole object in taking these things is to preserve our health. Milk and apples. This has been proved by science, comrades. Again, the science thing. Contains substances absolutely necessary to the well-being of the pig. We pigs are brain workers. The whole management and organization of the farm depend on us. Day and night, we are watching over your welfare. It is your sake that we drink that milk and eat those apples. Do you know what would happen if we pigs failed in our duties? Jones would come back. Yes, Jones would come back. Surely, comrades, cried Squealer, almost pleadingly, skipping from side to side and whisking his tail. Surely there are no one among you, among you who wants to see Jones back. Already, the equality of the animals are keeping apart. And I'm going to read this last section because this is something I want to continue, I want to bring up. Now, if there is one thing the animals were completely certain of, it was that they did not want Jones back. When it was put to them in this light, they had no more to say. The importance of keeping the pigs in good health was all too obvious. So it was agreed without further argument without further argument that the milk and the windfall apples and also the main crop of apples when they ripened which should be reserved for the pigs this is the theme of communist countries the revolution never ends this is how you control the population and if you get lucky you the revolution continues which we'll see in chapter 4 and it actually validates what the revolutionaries are saying. And it validates their corruption. It validates their um, tyranny. The revolution should never end. That's how we control. 40 years of Castro, 40 years after Castro took over Cuba, he's still talking about La Revolución. The Soviet Union talked about the rev Stalin used to talk about the revolution and that was a good 30 years after it happened even today in the in the uh, North Korea they talk about the revolution even though that's been going on for 60 years three gener four generations the revolution never ends and that's what tyrants want. They want people always standing up and fighting for something because when they're fighting for something, they don't think about what is actually happening. That's it. That's chapter three. I had a lot to say here. I did not think it was going to go this long, but I had a lot to say about this chapter. It's pretty awesome. Next chapter is chapter four. Um, not as much to say, so it might be kind of a quicker chapter. 
so anyway, let's get to the end. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can download or listen to this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addicts, Stitcher, and uh, YouTube. Uh, you can down, you can actually visit my website at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com and you can read some of the show notes. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. <laughs>